TL Talk Radio, Season 6, Episode 25. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 25 of TL Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. And I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. Today, we're speaking with Aaron Riley, author of The Art of Digital Fabrication, Steam Projects for the Makerspace and Art Studio. Aaron is the Mr. and Mrs. Alexander Jackson, Director of the Engineering and Design Lab at Greenwich Academy, where she teaches classes and facilitates projects with faculty at the intersection of engineering, design, and art. Additionally, she teaches a studio course in creative technologies at Columbia University's Teachers College in the Art and Art Education program. Erin is among the first cohort of senior FabLearn fellows at Columbia University, where she writes on the topic of maker education and curriculum design and creates tools and resources for educators. So welcome to the podcast, Erin. Thank you, Lynn and Randy. It's really such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, our pleasure. So looking forward to uh, talking with you about the art of digital fabrication. And let's get our conversation started with a personal story. How did you become connected to designing learning opportunities that are, as you say, at the intersection of engineering, design, and art? So um, my my story is is not a direct, or my path, I should say, to this work is not a direct one. Um, I have a background in art and design. And so um, I, uh, you know, after, after I graduated from high school, I went on um, to college. And um, initially I was interested in studying some sort of STEM um, discipline and was really kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I, I loved when I was in school, I really loved both art and, um, also science classes and I liked math and I, I, I just was kind of trying to figure it out. So I went to school, initially thought I wanted to do something STEM related. Um, and ultimately like a year and a half in, I kind of switched gears and paused and decided to go to school for art. Um, so I pulled together my portfolio and, um, I ended up, um, getting, uh, a degree in, in art and, um, and then in design and, and, um, uh, followed that path for a while and I got an uh, MFA. So I really sort of took a deep dive into art making, um, and design and, um, really kind of focused on the material aspects of making. And once I graduated, um, I w- again, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do and was living in New York at the time and did a lot of work kind of freelancing and working in sort of more artistic realms. And I got a, a really interesting opportunity um, to teach with um, this nonprofit organization called Studio in a School, where they brought artists into public schools to uh, basically collaborate with teachers and um, really support their curriculum and do it through an arts lens. So I was working <coughs> that for several years where I was working as an artist in residence. And I realized I really, really love teaching. 
And because of my background, um, which was really sort of by nature interdisciplinary and due to the nature of this work where we were there to really support teachers in, in their curriculum and do these integrated projects, I, I sort of forged into teaching um, with a very STEAM lens at the time. So this was 20 years ago, um, 20 plus years actually. And um, I really credit a lot of that early teaching experience with how I teach today because um, I sort of got into that work thinking very globally about, about learning and thinking, you know, how all, all the disciplines could kind of come together and, and, um, and to design learning experiences, partnering with teachers and kind of co-teaching together. So that was my start. And um, I taught in the public schools for a number of years and then, and then eventually came up here to where, to the school that I'm currently at, which is Greenwich Academy. And I took a position as middle school art teacher here and carry that same teaching into, or teaching approach, um, partnered with, with many of my colleagues. And um, I've worn many hats at this school. I've, I've um, taught art in the upper school, or middle school, and then eventually moved into the upper school. I was chair of the art department for a number of years. I ran the gallery and so, um, one thing that's nice about working in a, in a school, a K-12 school, is you have lots of opportunities to do different things. And so the last seven years, I've been working um, in the lab. And for the last six years, I've been the director of the space. So it's been really exciting to build this program and to really kind of tap into these um, sort of my background which is always been sort of grounded in in steam based learning so it's always interesting to hear everyone's journey and they and how they share that because it really gives yeah. us context and our listeners context for what we really want to talk about here and this is your book yeah. so your book is on this idea of digital fabrication so describe for us what is digital fabrication help our listeners understand sort of a common understanding of what that is and then why were you inspired to publish a book about it? Um, so in the, just the most simplistic, uh, uh, I guess, definition, um, uh, digital fabrication would be bringing digital designs into the physical world. So designing digitally and then using machines to bring those, those designs into physical form. So for example... So like 3D printers and vinyl cutters and um, laser cutters, you know, those sorts of tools, uh, the kind of tools that you might see in, in engineering labs and design labs. Mm -hmm. So why a book then? What did you see is, as the need? Yeah. So um, I, you know, I've been working for so many years as an art teacher and, um, and so much of my learning journey has been learning from other people through books and through resources and through, you know, video tutorials and YouTube. And I felt like this, when, when we opened our lab, um, 
I was really doing a lot of curriculum development and, and building things, um, very specialized projects for my students that were at the intersection of, of art and design and engineering. And I was spending a lot of time documenting this. I was working with the, with the Fab Learn cohort as well and, and publishing through their networks um, uh, these blog posts and, and sharing out my, my work and open sourcing it. And it, it made a lot of sense because I think people were very excited to have these resources to kind of compile it all and put it in a, in, um, a book that would be very, very practical that somebody could pick up and, and use and apply to their work and, and, um, and take what I've been building for my students for the past seven years um, and offering it to the world as a resource that they could use with their students. So you mentioned some of the tools of digital fabrication, 3D printers, laser cutters. Um, what are some of the skills that learners are developing as they engage with design and these digital tools for fabrication? So um, I think that the really the most important thing that, that students take away from this work is that um, by offering these tools and the space and time to do this work, you're giving them a way to bring their ideas, what's in their imagination um, into the world. So it's a very empowering thing to be able to imagine something and to be able to bring that into into form in some way. And so that to me just globally is the most important skill that that um, that students learn from this process. It's, it's very, very empowering. So instead of having to go out in the world and seek out somebody to create for you or to to make something for you or to purchase something for or you know purchase something for for a uh, a specific purpose, you have the power to make that thing and you have the power to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And um, and to, to go through a process of designing and improving and um, getting closer to, to what you're imagining um, is super powerful. And, and to me, that that is one of the, the most um, important things that one gains from this work. So the connection that I was making was that it really it amplifies the inherent agency in the in the creative process that sort of um, unleashes one's curiosity and then it provides them yeah. the mechanism by which they can take that unique personal thought creation concept that idea what they're imagining so whatever that is and it gives them a pathway and one of the things that I really observe all the years that I was um, teaching in an art studio prior to the this work that I've been doing in the lab is getting from kind of 2D concept to 3D uh, artifact, um, or, or, or I should say like going from um, concept 
whatever a student is imagining in their mind, whatever that is, and then bringing it into 3D form was one of the most difficult things for students to do. So for instance, if they had an idea for a drawing that they wanted to make, so to go from that idea, what they're seeing in their head, to bringing that into the world on a piece of paper, that to me was like the hardest thing um, students, you know, struggled with, or that was the thing that they struggled with the most was going from, from idea, what they're visualizing to what, what they can put out on paper. So, um, you know, digital fabrication is kind of like the 3D version of that mm -hmm. because mostly what we're making in a fabrication studio is, is three-dimensional, um, artifacts or, or no, I shouldn't say that either, but this idea that, that you're giving students the power to take what they imagine and then bringing it into physical form, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you said that you've been doing this for seven years. It was time to push those ideas out and mm -hmm. see how others embrace them as well. So what, what have been some of the most interesting or memorable projects that you've seen students create and why? what makes them memorable? I'd love to share with you this uh, one of our recent projects. So we, so I teach this um, art elective called um, Creative Technologies, and my students. I co-teach this class with with two other colleagues, um, and our students have spent the semester um, basically building a body of work for an exhibition um, that we're going to have on campus um, in our in our gallery space. We have a small gallery space. Um, and they've been given the, the month of um, January and into February for this exhibition. And the students titled the show, Not This Again. Um, all of the art pieces for this exhibition were created with Second Life materials or scraps. Um, and uh, the students were the artists, they were the curators, and they were the exhibition designers for the show. So this has been a really fun project in that it, it was totally student directed and um, it wasn't, it allowed students to both work on, you know, the creating the content for the show, but also to think sort of bigger picture and think about what they want to communicate um, on a larger scale to to the you know their audience people who are going to come see this show so you know they did all of the graphic design for the show and um, we did some advertising campaigns and um, they were really challenged to think about how um, scraps could be looked at um, for their beauty and um, how they could be used to create really interesting pieces of artwork. And we supplied them with some very kind of playful prompts to get them started thinking about the kind of work that they would make, um, exploring contemporary and, um, and like conceptual art themes. And, um, but in addition to that, they were playing off this, this idea of sustainability um, in a way that like I said, was just is just very playful. So we're very proud of this exhibition, and it's um, it was one of my favorite. I've never taught a class where, you know, the end result was 
a full exhibition. And that was really, really fun um, and inspiring. Um, so that's, that's kind of at the top of my list right now of, of like really inspiring projects and, and things that, that the students have, have really engaged with. So um, if we could just talk a little pause. bit about that. So yeah. it sounds, it sounds like um, the students were really designing much of that. Like it was organically coming to life through their work and your role as the teacher was more to help guide that and support that. Does that sound yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, it's totally right. And it's it was very interesting in terms of how to teach. Like, you know, um, like I said, I co-taught this class. So my colleagues and I, when we launched the semester, we had to really think about how to, to scaffold this class in a way where we were teaching um, certain skills, um, but we were also giving students this like support they needed to really um, move towards an end mm -hmm. exhibition. So, so to give you an example, um, the, the class, like when we first launched in September, we had several big brainstorming sessions where we just talked through ideas and we, we like out of the gate, we, we, we decided um, what font we would use for the exhibition. So we had a style guide. So we talked about style and like how, how, um, how to have consistency um, we talked about things like, are we going to be making work as individuals? Or are we going to make work as a collective? And, you know, these were sorts, some of the big questions that we started with. And the students really took the lead on that, like what they wanted this show to be. And then, like, after some of these big ideas were formed, um, that's when we started looking at prompts and we started making artwork and really kind of digging into the materials and, like, the, the kind of scraps that would be interesting to 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 weave into um, into art pieces. And then about halfway through the semester, we took a, a trip to the Yale University Art Gallery, um, which is not too far from us. And we looked at we looked at artwork that um, across time and across cultures that talked about repurposing of materials, looked at repair, looked at looked at using scraps. And so that was really interesting. So students could put some context into this work that they were doing, and not just through a contemporary art lens, but also through um, work across time. And then we, in addition to that, we went to our, uh, or went to their, um, their West Campus facility where they store all of their their artwork, and we looked at how they categorized um, and stored they store their collection, and it was fascinating. So our students were were really able to kind of engage engage in like how how to categorize work. Um, we put together our own visible storage for the show. We used a, a display case on campus, and as students were making work for the show. Um, instead of storing it on shelves in the lab, we stored it in this display cabinet and we, we labeled it. And that's how they had it at the, at the 
West Campus. So it was a really interesting way to think about putting together the exhibition over time. Um, and then what was interesting after we went to, to visit the, the Yale campus and their, their gallery, um, there was a point where we had to start actually putting the show together. So that was really interesting. We, we, we went to the gallery and we took measurements and created like a floor plan um, of like, you know, where are we going to put all of our work? So it kind of, we, it unrolled in, in these phases and, um, and it was really, it was just a really exciting way to teach a class. And I highly recommend, um, you know, if, if people have access to a display area, like to engage students in that process is really fun. Um, and to kind of think about, because oftentimes we do projects and then, oh, like where would be a good place to display it? And then you put it up and, you know, you label it and, you know, that's exciting. You can share that out and that's very cool. But um, to engage students in that process can be can also be really fun. So interesting to think about this as um, <laughs> it's an art course, right? And yeah. through the education lens, we don't often think of exi exhibiting our work through the same lens that artists do. So it's interesting to marry the two and our listeners will be able to make that connection and think about, you know, this idea of public public display and work and working through all those two, two details. So as our teachers want to offer more digital fabrication opportunities for our learners, what can we as leaders or building principals do to best support teachers in these experiences? I would say um, really like believing in design as a way to empower students to take action on their ideas. So um, really having faith in that in that vehicle. Um, and to, I would also say to be champions of maker-centered learning. Um, I think that that is one of the best ways that, that, that um, administrators and leaders can support um, students in, in, in maker-centered learning and digital fabrication and, and just anything like design and, and build-oriented. I would also say just trusting um, educators to learn as they go and kind of, um, because so often uh, this technology like, is new to us and to trust that um, educators will learn with their students and um, build programs sort of around where the students take this. I think that that's, that's um, another like really good way to support to support educators. All right. So uh, in the next part of our conversation, we uh, like to ask our guests a series of three what we call lightning response questions. So our first question for you to give us a quick response to is who is one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about the maker movement and digital fabrication? Oh, I would say Sylvia Martinez. Yes, and we've had her on the show yeah, twice before. Is, is an incredible, um, uh, just incredible person and leader in um, the maker movement. Yeah, so we'll link to the two podcasts that we've done with Sylvia before, as well as yeah. uh, her website. 
um, yeah. in, the, in the show notes. All right. Question number two, if you're recommending one book to our listeners, what would it be? <laughs> I would also say um, Sylvia and Gary's book, um, Invent to Learn. I think it's a terrific way to get a strong grounding and understanding um, the maker movement and and its its history and where to start. So for folks who are wanting to get started with, with making in the classroom, that would be one of my top recommendations. And we would agree. And our last question, what online site resource or person do you continue to learn from regularly? So I... Um, I would say the Tinkering Studio would be one of my top um, my top resources where I get a ton of inspiration. They're um, they're out of the Exploratorium in San Francisco, and they have they have great online resources. Um, and they the work that they do is is you know very much grounded in in steam, and it's it's just so fun. Um, their projects. Um, and I would also say Ryan Jenks, Jenkins, who um, he's part of the wonderful idea companies, one of the founders. And I get a lot of um, inspiration from the work he does on um, Twitter. I follow him on Twitter and I just I think his work is so fun and interesting. Um, those would be some good recommendations. All right. So we'll make sure we have all those links and resources in our show notes. Thanks so much, Erin. So last question for you, as we wrap up our podcast and time together, what's next? What are you working on now that you'd like to share with our listeners? So um, I would say what's at the very, very, very top of my, my mind in terms of um, building the program and thinking about what the next steps are. Um, I've been working really hard in the last really year or so um, thinking about best practices around sustainability in, in a lab and, and how to be really thoughtful about the materials we use. Um, so my classes have been um, designed um, and I'm moving towards uh, more sustainable models for for the materials that we use, and um, thinking about um, about that theme in just sort of every design aspect, and a lot of this has been driven by by students. So uh, my students are um, more and more just very interested in sustainability, um, and so it seems it seemed like the next thing to kind of really think about and, and implement thoughtfully into our practice um, as a way to kind of take action on, on, uh, on resources and our, our best use of resources. So to give you an example, um, I, I'm teaching an engineering design two class and um, this this entire semester and then also next semester, we're using sustainability as a theme. And, and my students are asked to consider the six R's um, in, in you know, the all aspects of their design. So thinking about um, the six R's are rethink, reuse, recycle, repair, reduce, and refuse. So thinking about those ideas um, as they're working. Um, 
And so that that's at the top of my list. Thanks so much for joining us today, Erin. We enjoyed learning more about uh, the art of digital fabrication and some of your work and making connections between um, art and education and exhibitions. So to learn more about Erin's work, you can visit some of the resources in the show notes. Um, we link to all those suggestions she gave us, including the Sylvia Martinez podcasts as well. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about, provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question, how might you use the art of digital fabrication to design learning experiences that reflect your vision for learning? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season six, episode 25. That's all for this episode. We'll be back with another conversation featuring an innovative thought leader next week. Thanks again, Aaron. Bye-bye, Aaron. Bye. Bye.